This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. Happy Sabbath, everybody. Good afternoon, neighbor. We thank God that ours is the privilege of coming together for worship. Those who are in-house and those who are online missing the benefit of our warmth and our company. Let me welcome you as we worship a God who is worthy of all our worship. We affirm and declare that all the other gods of the nations are idols, but our God made the heavens and the earth. In 1920, the Irish poet William Butler Yeats dropped, as the kids say today, dropped his poem, The Second Coming. Yeats wrote this poem in the aftermath of the First World War. The first verse says, turning and turning in the widening jar. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. And then we have that line that has crossed over into our mainstream culture, that line which says, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood dim, the blood dim tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. You know, this week as I read this poem again for the umpteenth time, I concluded that it succinctly captures the current state of affairs in some quarters. However, the, the line that I wish to draw our attention to today is the line that says, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. As I direct our attention to this line, allow me to posit, allow me to ask the following questions. What do we do when our world, yea, our lives as we know it, falls apart? What do we do when it all caves in? To whom do we turn? As we look to the Word of God today for some answers, we'll do so beneath the caption, Rejoicing amidst the ruins. Rejoicing amidst the ruins. Let me turn our attention to our focus text, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. 
The New King James Version's rendition says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, no fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join in the God of my salvation. This is the word of God, and I believe it. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your presence in the service thus far. And as we continue now in worship with a study of your word, I pray that you'll remove every distraction, you'll arrest every attention, that you'll speak not only to our heads but to our hearts and use this feeble mortal clay to share words of truth, words of hope we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, neighbor, before we attempt to zoom in on our focus text for today, let us first zoom out and consider the world, yea, the context in which the prophet Habakkuk lived, wrote, and ministered. Let us consider the backdrop, yea, the background of the book. Now, the book of Habakkuk is listed in the canon as one of the minor prophets. Not minor because their messages were of lesser importance, but minor due to the shortness or brevity of their writings. You'll find that the writings of the minor prophets reverberate with a strong sense of urgency. Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah, and he lived prior to the Babylonian invasion of Judah. The book of Habakkuk, neighbor, is the story of one man's personal experience with God. It was written as a dialogue or a conversation, if you please, between God and the prophet. You will find that its three chapters trace the spiritual progress of the prophet and show his emergence, neighbor, from a period of deep consternation and confusion to a climatic peak of joy and victory. You see, the times in which Habakkuk lived were serious times. They were turbulent and uncertain times in Judah, times of spiritual delinquency, injustice, oppression, violence, and wickedness seemed to reign supreme. There were times of political instability and a national crisis. In addition to the moral, spiritual, and political bankruptcy that existed throughout the land, the threat of war became increasingly in inevitable as the rolling war machines of Babylon grounded nation after nation into the dust, and Judah seems to be next. Small wonder then that in the opening verses, Chapter 1, 2 to 4, we find the prophet lamenting. 
He says in verse uh, 2 of chapter 1, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me? There is strife and contention arises. He, he, might have, he, he might as well have been writing this in the Washington Post. Therefore, he says, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Neighbor, as he viewed the problems of his time, Habakkuk seemed to have become totally overwhelmed by them. You see, the more he reflected on them, the bigger and more personal they became. And he seemed to have developed a spirit of pessimism. He became so entangled in a giant web of frustration that he soon felt as if God didn't here. Have you ever been there? Well, I guess nobody here in plantation. Our lives are picture perfect, aren't they? Why is God, the prophet kept asking, why is God not more active in saving Judah? Why is God not listening to my complaints? These are contentious, strife-filled times with destruction and violence ever-present. Surely these are the kind of times that call for a God with a little higher visibility. Where are you, God? Now, please observe with me, neighbor, that the prophet is not arguing with God with an attitude of defiance or disrespect. But rather, he is arguing with God, he is talking with God with an attitude born out of pure frustration. Here is this God who is powerful and mighty. Here is this God that I, I have trusted all my life and now things are falling apart. Where are you in the midst of this? Allow me to suggest, neighbor, that the problems of life can do one of three things to us. They can cause us to either break, break out, or breakthrough. Break, break out, or break through. Life's problems can cause us to break, to cave in with defeat and despondency. They can cause us, neighbor, to become depressed and discouraged. I once heard a story about the devil having a yard sale. And by the way, you should not go to any yard sale put on by the devil. Amen? Amen. But I heard a story of the devil 
that the devil was having a yard sale, and as the patrons came by reviewing the wares, they saw in a corner a tool that was well-worn and beaten, battered, and inquired about that tool, and the devil said, no, 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 that's not for sale. That is my well-used tool, and on the back side of that tool was written the word discouragement. Discouragement. You see, sometimes the devil can use the problems of life to discourage us. Life's problems can not only cause us to break, but life's problems can also cause us to break out or lash out with hostility towards others. In 2010, uh, Daniel Porter dropped. By the way, I've been using that word drop. That's what the young people tell me. That's, that's, that's how they say it now, Pastor. He dropped the song. And so uh, Daniel Porter dropped his song, A Bad Day. And, and, and there's a, a funny uh, compilation on YouTube, A Bad Day at the Office, with people just losing it under the pressure. But there are times in life when our bad days become bad months, and our bad months become bad years, and we find ourselves lashing out with hostility toward others. Now, how many of you know by experience that sometimes when folks lash out at you, that it has nothing to do about you? Hello? That sometimes there's some folks when they're having a bad day, hey, please get the memo, stay clear. Once heard a story of a man and his wife, they were having an ongoing conflict, and he believed that it was because of the, the few minutes they would have whenever he returned from work. He said, now, he said to his wife, now, this is not healthy for our relationship, and so I've come up with a plan. Here it is. Whenever I've had a bad day at work, what I'll do is, as soon as I get out of the car, I'll turn my hat backwards. If you see me coming up the driveway and my hat is turned backwards, stay clear for at least 20 minutes. She said, well, that's all right, but, but I've got one for you too. You see, sometimes things are rough at home. Sometimes the kids give me trouble. Sometimes there's two burns, and I have a rough day. Now, if you come in and my apron is turned to the back, then give me some space. He said, well, that's a deal. The following day, as fate would have it, he went to work, and, and it was rough. Things uh, went bad. A customer was displeased, and, and the boss was holding him accountable for it. One of his best workers did not show up for work that day. 
As soon as it was quitting time, he jumped into his car, and he was so upset. Meanwhile, at home, the stew burnt again, and the kids were giving her trouble. And so as he pulled up in the driveway, got out of the car, he put on the hat, and he turned it backwards. She saw him through the window coming up the driveway, and she met him at the door, and she turned her apron to the back. They met each other eye to eye, and they thought how ridiculous it was, and they both laughed. You see, sometimes when we're going through rough times, the people who bear the brunt of our hostility are those closest to us. The problems of life can not only cause us to break or cause us to break out, but praise God, the problems of life can cause us to break through. That is to find solutions of viable alternatives. And I say amen. The problems of life can lead the child of God into a deeper, into a richer, into a stronger faith experience with him. It is during those times, watch this neighbor, that our relationship with God becomes more real. Anybody can fake a relationship with God when, when things are peachy and fine and smooth and, and everything is working like clockwork. But when it all falls apart, that is when faith is tested. It seems to me, therefore, that the question in life is not whether or not we'll have problems, is not whether or not we'll be faced with crisis. The question in life is, how do we respond? So this is what, in chapter 2, this is what Habakkuk decided to do. Chapter 2, 1 to 4, please read it when you get home while, while Martha is reheating the veggie fish and waiting for lunch. Read chapter 2, will you, Habakkuk? But you'll find that in chapter 2, 1 to 4, I won't be reading it, guys. You'll find in these verses that in the depths of his problems, the prophet the prophet remembered that he had a watchtower of prayer. The prophet uh, decided that in the depths of his problem that he would go and he would watch for an answer from heaven. Somebody said that, that oftentimes, you need to appreciate this, that oftentimes when the outlook is dark, try the uplook. The story is told of two prisoners looking through their prison cell window. One prisoner saw stars while the other saw mud. Same uh, prison, same cell, looking through the same window. Yet, one saw stars and one saw mud. The reality is, for some folks, they will not pray until the burdens on their shoulders force them to fall to their knees. Some folks will not look up until the problems of life level them and they're lying flat on their backs in a hospital bed. 
When you look at the experience of Habakkuk, you realize that prayer turned his attention from the problem to the solution. Someone says that problem-centeredness is not a healthy condition, is not a healthy approach to problems. It contributes to frustration, to woes, to stress. Help me to suggest, neighbor, that the conquest of worry begins with prayer. You see, prayer confesses our inability to handle the situation and admits God's ability to do so. No wonder the hymnist says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now, what makes for effective prayer? What makes our prayers effective? Allow me to suggest that it's not the arithmetic of our prayers, how many they are. There are some folks who believe that I've, if I can pray, 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 then, 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 then the multitude and the multitude of prayer, then God will respond. It's not the rhetoric of our prayers, how eloquent they are, whether our subject and the verb are in perfect agreement. It is not the geometry of our prayers, how long they may be. It's not the music of our prayers, how sweet they may be. It's not even the logic of our prayers, how argumentative they may be. It's not even the divinity of our prayers, how theological they may be. But according to James, this is what makes our prayer effective. James says in James 5, 16, it is the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person that avails much. Listen to this, and I wish some, uh, some of the kids here, I wish somebody would tweet this, but when you tweet it, please, hashtag, please give me the credit. Please say, Pastor Rose. Listen to this. God is not interested in how sacrosanct our prayers are, but how sincere our prayers are. It is so nice, I gotta say it twice. God is not interested in how sacrosanct our prayers are, but how sincere our prayers are. It doesn't matter the language you use. What matters is the language of the heart, and that is a matter of sincerity. So as we now zoom back in on our focus text, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Neighbor, I want you to appreciate a note that these verses, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3, they serve as an inflection point. They indicate, among other things, that there's a change in the mood and tone of the prophet. Look at it again. He begins his summation in verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He begins his summation 
In verse 17, with the adverbial conjunction, though. He begins with though. He's saying, in essence, regardless of the facts surrounding my circumstances, though. He was saying, Elder Dion, notwithstanding my current reality, though. What had happened? You see, neighbor, in the previous, chapter, in the previous verses of chapter 3, the prophet is given by God a glimpse of God's power and, and of God's might. He's given a glimpse of God's omnipotence. God revealed to the prophet the ultimate demise of Judah's enemies. God also gave to the prophet the cosmic view, a perspective that said, listen, Habakkuk, regardless of the evidence to the contrary, that he, God, is still in control and he's working it out for his good. He's working it out for his purposes. You may not get it right now, Habakkuk, but trust me, I'm working it out. And so the prophet could say, though the fig tree may not blossom, though the fruit be in the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. This verse is clearly, Pastor Mike, an inference to the fact that the Babylonian invasion was imminent, that some of their crops would not come to fruition, that some of their livestock would be destroyed, that the Babylonian invasion was imminent. But notice with me, neighbor, that the prophet transitions and he says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And here, and here is what I want you to see, the link between the prophet's though and his yet. The prophet's though and his yet. And the thing that links those two is his faith in God. See, neighbor, if Habakkuk had given in to his feelings of despondency, he could not have made the transition from though to yet. And I know some of you, you, you'll get it on the way home, or perhaps that first bite of the veggie fish, you'll get it. Oh, that's what he was talking about. The transition from though to yet is linked by his faith in God. And remember when I started that I told you that, that this book of Habakkuk is a personal journal, if you please. It is the prophet starting out being a mess in chapter 1. But by the time he gets to chapter 3, he's got it together because his faith in God has been renewed. 
You see, when he looked ahead, he saw that Judah was heading for destruction and that it caused him great consternation. When he looked all around him, he saw things falling apart. He saw the center collapsing. When he looked within, he saw himself trembling with trepidation. He saw himself folding with fear. But when he looked up by faith, he saw God and all his fears vanished. It is for that reason that we find him in chapter 3, verse 18, 17 to 19, we find him standing amidst the ruins of his creature comforts and praising God. And I don't want you to miss how he concludes. Look at verse 19. He says, The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high heels. I don't know if if it were me going through what he went through and seeing what he saw, perhaps my legs would be shaking and my heart would be pounding. Perhaps I'd be looking for a safe place to sit down and relax. But we find the prophet ending saying, I will bound up on the mountain like a deer. Why? Because of my faith in God. Because of my faith in God, I can stand sure-footed as a deer. I can run swiftly and go higher than I've ever been before. One of the reasons I believe God oftentimes permits us to go through trials is so that He can draw us closer and nearer to Himself. So that He can lift up lift us up above the circumstances so that we can walk on the heights with him. The prophet came to appreciate that his relationship with God was more important than all his stuff. That though the Babylonians may destroy the crops and destroy the livestock, the Babylonians could not destroy his faith in God. I've come to appreciate in life that I will lose a lot of things. And, and, and sometimes life has its twists and its turns. But once I have God, God will help me navigate its twists and its turns. The, the prophet is able to praise God in spite of losing everything because of his faith in him. As I close, I don't know who this is for. But allow me to 
drop some marley on you in this holy pulpit. It's you. It's you I'm talking to. Why do you look so sad and forsaken? Don't you know when one door is open, when one door is closed, another is open? Don't you let the system make you kill your brother, man. By the way, you can see me for more Marley after the service. But I don't know who this is for. I'm sure there are those who are familiar with the story of Horatio G. Spafford. He and his wife, Anna, had lived in 1960s Chicago. They were well known. Horatio was a prominent lawyer, had a, had a very successful uh, business, including several real estate holdings. But then in 19, in 1870, rather, everything started to go awry. Their only son was killed by scarlet fever at the age of four. In 1871, he lost all of his real estate in the great Chicago fire. Seeing that this had taken such a toll on the family, they decided to take a trip to Britain. They planned the trip, and Anna and the kids were to go ahead, and Horatia was to join them afterwards. The steamer that they were aboard ran aground. It had collided with another English vessel. It sank within 12 minutes. Horatia received a telegram from his wife, which read, Saved alone. All the kids had died. As he left Chicago to have a rendezvous with his wife in New York. The story says that as he passed the spot where the collision had taken place, the Holy Spirit inspired that beautiful hymn, When Peace Like a River attended my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul Please stand as we do our closing song. This song says, no matter what, we trust him at all times, and he will set our feet upon a rock.
for that reality. Regardless of what the culture says, I'm here to tell you that you are greater than the sum total of your stuff. That you're greater than the sum total of your stuff. The culture has a way of measuring you based on what you have or what you have accumulated. But I have lived long enough to know that the things you take years to accumulate, you can lose in less than a day. That in less than a day, it can all come crashing down. And it's only those meaningful relationships that we have established that will last. The research shows, and it's copious, that, that individuals who, who often come back from, from disaster and, and their world falling apart, that one of the major elements they all have is they tend to have good support systems as in good relationships. I'm here to tell you, seek a relationship with God Keep that relationship with Him because regardless of what the stock market says, regardless of the inflation index, God is able to keep you. God is able to keep you. I'd like to pray with and for someone here today. You've not yet found or not yet had that have that, that that meaningful relationship with him and I don't know where you are on the journey but I'd like to pray with you and for you perhaps here or online you can reach out to us there's a tab there that says next step would like to 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 be to connect with you on your spiritual journey but if you're in the house today and you're saying Lord I want to thank you that I'm more than the sum total of my stuff just raise your hand God bless you if you want to say, God, I want to have that relationship with you that will be permanent even as life becomes fleeting. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the worship experience with you today. But Lord, we know that we will leave this hall step through those doors back into our reality. One that is filled and fraught with challenges and difficulties. Oh Lord, this worship session did provide a bit of respite for some of us. But we will know that when we exit this place, we go back to deal with those seemingly unbearing circumstances. Oh Lord, may you give us the strength. I pray that something was said today that will inspire hope. Someone will leave here today having a new, yea, a renewed perspective 
will be able to rejoice even when it seems as if their world is caving in. We thank you and we bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. Peace in your going out and in your coming in. Peace in your lying down and in your rising up. From this time forth and even forevermore. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation Seven-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.